Welcome to the SaaS Marketing Superstars Podcast with your host, Aaron Sikowski. This is the show where we uncover proven growth strategies from CMOs and marketing leaders behind some of the fastest growing SaaS companies. Hey, superstars. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Aaron Zakowski, and today I'm chatting with Eden Bidani. Eden is a conversion copywriter helping B2B SaaS companies to increase conversions, acquire more customers, and grow revenue with clear messaging. Hey, Eden, how are you doing today? Hi, good thing. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to great to speak with you. I'm glad to have you on the show. I've been following you on LinkedIn for quite a while and really appreciating and learning a lot from your content that you're putting about about you know copywriting and conversion copywriting. Um, would love to learn more about you and and the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, where where do you think the best place to get started? There's a uh, lot that we can talk about, but like what's Where's the best place to get started? Well, well, I'll let you focus on you. You know what's going to be most interesting to to other people, but I, I guess what we're most interested in, I guess, in is you know, I guess, what kind of clients are you working with, and 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 how do you help them? Yeah, absolutely. So I work mostly with SaaS tech, IT, and IoT companies. So everything, or it's they have a tech product, they are a tech product, or they have something tech enabled, um, and that's that's pretty much uh, my jam. I mean, I it's not. I think it's so fascinating because I would not have described myself as a technical person ever. Mm-hmm. I was the kind of person growing <laughs> growing up when my brother had an, like a Super Nintendo. And we tried to plug it into the back of, I would try to plug it in the back of the TV and the cables are color coded and I'd still get it wrong. <laughs> but, but that said, I understand as I come from an anthropology background. So I, I find the human impact of technologies fascinating. I find that like, it's so incredible. So it's not because, and that's a lot, a lot of these companies actually end up struggling with because they they see the amazingness, they see the awesomeness of their technology from the inside, but they struggle to then communicate that value, that human impact that they, that their technology gives to their audience. So there's often this huge disconnect between like they'll talk about their features, they'll go into deep about into too technical detail if the and often the audience doesn't need that level of technical detail. Again, depends on the audience. If you're talking to developers, you're going to need to go into more detail than than to someone else, but for the vast majority, you need to have, you need to be communicating that human impact of the technology that you have. And that's what a lot of them really struggle with doing because there's so much that they want to say, but they don't need to say it all. Or if they do say it all, it's just going to be so overwhelming. Like, you know, you're completely flooded with messages and it does this and it does this and it does this and it does this. And people just like, I, I can't, their brains can't process it, right? They get, um, you know, the cognitive load is just far too high yeah. and they're not able so to. Sometimes less is more everything. when it comes to communicating. Absolutely. Absolutely. Less is less is more. The more concise you can be in expression in expressing a message, the better. So while which is funny because if you look at which is funny, we think we often think that more is more. So it's like, oh, you have you're listing out more benefits and more features. Like it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a time and a place in the sales process for that, but not in those first few customer touch points. Those mm-hmm. first few customer touch points, it's like, what is that ultimate value we're giving you? How is the company positioned against competitors? Like, how do you actually then, what, how do you actually express that in words? What words do you actually use? Which language, which vocabulary? How do you keep coming back then again to those same words to make sure that you're communicating that whole awesomeness while not pigeonholing yourself? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I've worked with a, a bunch of founders who are, we'll call them technical technical founders, for lack of a better word. They've got great technology. They know their industry really well. 
Um, and yet you look at their marketing, their website, their positioning, it's just like really bland, doesn't build any trust, doesn't really communicate the real value or how they, they stack up against their competitors. And, you know, for me, having run marketing campaigns for these types of companies in the past, it very rarely succeeds, unfortunately, because they just don't have those other pieces in place. And, and when we explain it to them, they kind of shake their head or nod their head that they, that they understand, but then they're not really able to fix it terribly well. How do you work with a company like that or a founder like that and, and get them, I guess, to understand and to make those changes that need to be done to ultimately help them connect on a much greater level with, with their customer base? Yeah, great question. So it's really a collaborative process. Um, so it involves both speak. So I love to speak with the CEO usually or the founder of the company and mm -hmm. at least twice, usually. And we run a couple of workshops just trying to pull that story out of them. Um, and then as well, speaking, and then I like to speak with additional stakeholders across the company because everyone has a slightly different viewpoint on what the value of the business delivers. And so then you're actually able to then triangulate the data so you have what the CEO or what the founder feels versus what other key people see that the value like the the head of sales head of customer success those are your head of product those are usually three amazing people to speak to mm -hmm. uh, because they all have a different a different you know a different head of sales especially there was it's like nobody listens to, to anything in the marketing people want to know xyz they usually are able to really um drill down to the to the bottom line um and it's a collaborative process of working with these internal stakeholders to feel, okay, so what is, what is the value? And then also understanding what customers see as that value from an external perspective. Because what we we can have what we say internally, but then we need to be able to say it in a way that actually meets customers' expectations or meets, first of all, the, the value that they're looking for. Um, and then make sure that we're actually, it's a value that we're delivering. So we're not over-promising or we're not under-promising as well in one way or another. So we actually, and it's really hard to do. And as much as I, like you, we can try to coach us to do it themselves, it's really, really hard to do it yourself. You're drinking your own Kool-Aid. You've got your, you know, you're in your own messaging 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You've been doing this for X many years. It's so hard to actually pull yourself back out and look at things objectively. <clears throat> so I find one of the most interesting things about the process is I sit with a founder and then I speak with, the, I speak with other internal stakeholders and then with the customers and you come across some amazing insights. A lot of the time, there's a lot of similarity in the messages that they're saying, but they just can't see it because they're too deep into the situation. Mm -hmm. so then you come and you're able to present these ideas and they go, that's it. It's like, yes, because that's what everyone is actually saying. This is this is the common denominator that everyone is actually saying. So it's almost, um, you feel like you're going on an archaeological dig sometimes to get to that but it's a lot of work with a lot of work a lot of conversations with people with you know these key key people of interest that are are there in the company or external to the company mm -hmm. um, but that who see who see the true value in the company and then we're able to actually narrow that down through that process look at all the insights that we've collected and narrow it down to what are those key points that we need to be communicating all the time I love that process because, I mean, the, the idea of getting access to all those different people who are coming from the company and the product from so many different perspectives, from from founder to product to customer success to customer, you know, all have different reasons why they think it's so great and why people should care. Ultimately, honestly, probably the customer, I would imagine, is, is the most important one at the end of the day. Um, do you find that most of the companies that you work with can actually help you to get access to all those people? Because it sounds like coordinating all those people and letting you talk to customers and, and all that, especially on the customer side, which is external, you know, getting access is mm -hmm. can be complicated. Does that usually always work out? 
it depends it depends on the client it depends on the scale of the client i'm going to say when you're looking at mid-market and enterprise companies to be able mm-hmm. the amount of bureaucratic red tape that you have to actually get through <laughs> to get clearance to actually speak to some of these customers is mm-hmm. it, like it, it's impossible or it would take six months to clear wow. Um, so, so often in that case, the, cl- the second closest thing is to, is to check what recorded customer data they have. So if they're using Gong or Chorus or, you know, any of these, um, everything sales call tools to go back and look at, uh, calls of trust, customer transcripts, um, from demo, from demos, from sales calls, things like that, to get an understanding of what their objections are, what questions they're asking, like what's important to them, getting an understanding of how the customers are expressing themselves when they talk. Um, about what they're looking for as well. That is the set. That's the second best. It's always best to get it fresh, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the second best and second closest to look at those, look at recorded demos, look at recorded um, things, review case studies. Again, case studies, it's often already been kind of ordered down or the, the message has already been made markety. So it's kind of hard sometimes to to extract the value from that. But um, but again, any anything that's related to the customer that they have that's raw on the back end, um, that's that's the also a second it's yeah. a it's the second best so 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 once you're able to capture all that that information you've done all these interviews i know you spoke about it a little bit can, can you elaborate more on, on what's that process once you've kind of i guess re- recorded or captured all that feedback from all these stakeholders what how, how do you bring that to light to create like the the clearest messaging and positioning that that's going to really help a company yeah, absolutely. So I actually start breaking things down in a Google Doc. So I get transcripts of all the interviews and things that I've done um, as well. And so I actually start breaking down. I start pulling out quotes and pieces of information and start slotting it. I have uh, I have a Google Doc template that I work off where I'm slotting things in uh, under different things that they talk about. So when the customer expresses a pain point, I take the direct quote and I put it in there and so I start building a library of things I can refer to so how they talk about the pain how they talk about the solution how they talk about competitors that they tried how they talk you know what's the value they see Um, and at the same time um, going back through the internal interviews that I've done and taking taking again the notes what how are they expressing this key these key values what are they really getting at how are they talking about the positioning and then taking what they've said and taking what the customers are saying and actually almost putting it side by side and seeing where things where things line up. Uh-huh. Um, so so once you've kind of worked and, and you've done that whole process, you figured out you know what the core message is, what the core positioning is. Where where is that messaging typically used? Is it is it primarily you know this is you know going to be front and center on the website? Do you get in terms of their, their marketing team in terms of you know ad creative and ad copy? sales team like how do, how do you make sure that the messaging that you put together is being used you know in all the important places to really go like omni-channel and uh really describe the company properly and used really yeah so the first thing that we do is i try i put everything together in a deck so it's mm-hmm. accessible so once as a result as a result of doing this process the company now has they have a very clear vision they have a very clear mission they have a very clear strategic narrative so that company backstory that that explains why we're here and why we're awesome, how we're going to take on the world. Um, they also have, again, expression of their their positioning, their value proposition. So you have all of that in a deck and also have phrases or things or vocabulary that they should use. So recommendations of actually how to, how to express 
these things. So it's not just, okay, you hand off to a sales rep, here's our mission statement. Sales rep can actually use that on the call. Right. So we actually break some things down into some usable sentences or phrases that they can use um, or some a simplified explanation. And then actually hand, first thing is I, I recommend handing that off to the sales team to actually start dripping in that messaging during the sales calls to start actually getting live feedback on it, see how people are responding to it. See, mm-hmm. see their expressions live on camera to start getting so sales is the best place to start that. with it to t- kind of best test place it to start and it, look and if sales adopts the messaging then the rest of the company has no choice <laughs> 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 if it was, like they see that it's driving you know if they see it's helping them close deals and they see that it's helping them uh you know shorten the sales cycle shorten time to close increase the you know contract size things like that then and I imagine you once know, you've been proven there and, and it's succeeding in sales, it's probably easy for everyone else to say, yeah, this is working. Like it's, it's a no brainer at that point because it's been tested and proven. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so, and then we start rolling it out to the website now. So they have, the, you have the internal expression of the core messaging, and then you have that external expression, which is on those customer facing touch points. So that's like the website or like an ad campaign. The, copy in itself a lot of it doesn't find its way verbatim over to the website so it's not like you hit the home page and you have your the strategic narrative is in the hero section i find it's but a lot the reason why i love using strategic narrative too is that i will pull out sentences from there and they will make it across the website but that said a lot of the the positioning statement usually ends up on the home page vision mission and elements of that strategic narrative that why we're here they end up on that basically forms the entire about us or our company or the the why us page if you have one Mm -hmm. and then at the same time it trickles through and that flavor kind of the messaging ends up trickling through to the calls to action it trickles through again to other elements of the product when you get to product and things it's much more practical it's much more granular it's something else but again starting with that it helps inform the flavor of the the copy, the voice and tone and the language that we use across the website. So it does, it plays a huge part in helping guide what needs to go on the site and where, but it's not like the homepage, the hero section on the homepage is not the place for the strategic narrative. Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples of, of, I guess, the impact that this process has, has made on a company? I mean, maybe, you know, like, like you brag a little bit, a case study maybe of, you know, a company went from X to Z and, and uh, through this process. That's a great question. Um, I think one one company that I worked with recently, they're, they're still implementing the copy on their site. Um, so they haven't, um, I, I don't have exact results yet. But so one company I'm working with currently in the US, they offer um, they offer testim- video testimonials for, for clients, like a really exclusive, really high level, uh, really high level premium type of service. And mm-hmm. they're always struggling to figure out how to explain what it is, what they do, because there are some, there are other solutions that also do the same thing as them. And so how they actually position themselves. So they were really struggling to position themselves because they weren't, they didn't have, it wasn't a software solution. It was really, it was really handholding all the way through, really done for, you know, handholding and also done for you. And so like they were all over the place. And so we, we narrowed it down. I spoke with, had a couple of workshops with the found with the founder, and we really were able to cl- to lock in on not just how they talk about what they do, but also how they describe the benefit. One of the things that they were struggling to do is they, a lot of people saw it as a one and done thing. It's like, okay, I need a testimonial. I'm going to order a testimonial. I get the testimonial then put on the web, you know, <clears throat> company puts it on their website. Everybody's happy. But, you know, that's a small contract. 
<laughs> it's not, you know, and they were looking to expand that and looking to in- increase how do we talk about, how do we get these customers to become repeat customers, how do we get them to see the value, like <clears throat> to be able to implement this properly to drive real growth for a business, you don't stop at one. You need actually quite a few and you need them sprinkled throughout your sales cycle. So we actually, we looked at everything and we were looking at what's trending, uh, what people are talking in the in the current market in terms of how to close and how to talk about sales. And we landed on, on a specific discussion. It's like, well, we latched onto the idea of trust gaps. So trust gaps, for example, is something that every everyone has in their business. And when you say trust gap, it's kind of, it's a phrase that everyone kind of understands like, oh, a gap in trust, you know, people don't trust, you're, there's a, there's a break in trust and we need to do something to close that gap. And so they were able to use were the description of this evidence and say, this helps you close trust gaps all across your sales cycle, like all across that entire sales cycle. And so that suddenly makes sense. So it doesn't, so go from saying like, oh, a video testimonial for a website to saying, now you can use use these video testimonials to close trust gaps across your entire sales cycle, and which shortens the sales cycle, increases the revenue, increases time to revenue, all these amazing things. Um, and they're they're already implementing it in their sales calls, and they're seeing really good results because they were really struggling to pitch both. Like, how do we pitch that it's premium, but how do we pitch more than one on the first call? Like, how do you do that? So they're already seeing uh, really good results, and I hope really looking forward to the website coming out soon. Excellent. Um, it seems for, from my experience, from, from working with many SaaS companies and, and, and obviously observing and, and, and checking out many SaaS companies, a lot of companies are failing when it comes to their messaging and, and their communication. Why do you think that is? It's, it's, it's so hard for companies to get this right. Um, I think, I think it comes down to two things. One, again, usually because the company is just too, is too in deep into their own business that it's very hard. It's you know, we, we all have our own uh, internal biases. It's really hard for us to step back and take a look at something objective. It is so hard um, for anyone to do that. <clears throat> so imagine a founder that's been at it for even for one year, even for five years, 10 years, 20 years. They've been at this again and again. They know that they know things and it feels already intuitive to them, but what they know and what they feel is not intuitive to the customers. So there's there's this internal understanding that it's very hard for them to communicate, mm-hmm. to condense all that awesomeness. And at the same time, they're afraid a lot of the time of con- of saying, how if I take all, it's so awesome. How do I fit all of that into one sentence? Like I, I, one sentence is not enough to communicate the awesomeness of this the tech that we have. But at the same time, customer on the other side, they want to hear that one sentence. It's like, tell me what you do in, in, yeah. you know, in six words or less. Yeah, um, it's hard. I know, as, as an and agency so, owner, yeah, you know, I, I always mm-hmm. struggled to, you know, I, I think in nuance, and I think many founders think in nuance. You know, well, not everything's so black and white. Like it might, the product might help these type of people like this, and helps that type of people like that. And I always wanted to communicate all the gray rather than just like this black and white, condense it all into like one simple message because I, I never felt like that was really totally true. And I know I struggle with that. I imagine a lot of founders also struggle with that, where sometimes you need to say, like, you don't need to explain everything to everybody. Just understand, like, you know, kind of maybe it's 80-20 rule. You know, if you could just give, you know, big picture, here's how we help, here's, you know, the service and, and the features and benefits, then that's all you need. Absolutely. And then I think the second the second element to that is even if they even if they do have a good handle on their marketing and a good way of explaining, 
sometimes they're they're out of touch with their customers, which is really which is again really hard. It's everyone talks about the importance of being customer first, but it's actually really hard to do unless you have like dedicated plan in place. Like every three months, someone is someone on the team is actually calling up customers and speaking mm -hmm. to them. Or you're running non-NPS surveys, like so again, not NPS surveys. Like, do you like us? You know, get it. We'll give you a gift card if you say that you like us. And it's like, you know, <laughs> it's not going to give you any helpful feedback, you know, on what um, on how people perceive the value of your business. So, unless they actually have something in place, we find they speak to customers much less than they actually should be. Um, and getting there, you know, getting checking the temperature, I guess, checking or checking the oil gauge, like how much, how are what we're saying aligns with what they feel or aligns with the current market and what's shifting um, at the moment. So I think not having that pulse on what their customers think is, you know, think of their company in the context of everything else that the customers know mm -hmm. is. Um, is also really difficult. It's very difficult to. It's it means that they that the team is guessing at what they need to say to customers, and we don't. When you guess in marketing, it's all kinds of bad things happen. That's a great point and a great soundbite as well. <laughs> I love that. Um, let's let's switch directions again a little bit. Um, speaking about biases a moment ago, my bias is towards LinkedIn these days. I'm. Super into the into the platform, into the community over there, into LinkedIn ads. Everything about LinkedIn is exciting to me right now as a B two B marketer. I see the platform just really growing and, and doing a lot of great things. Um, mm -hmm. And you've been publishing a lot and been really active for for quite a while now. I've been following your content. I see you growing your followers. You get huge engagement on your posts. Um, how, how's how's your involvement in the community on, on LinkedIn and being a publisher and creator on, on LinkedIn been been helping your career so far? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been it's been wonderful um, because, in, as I say, this you know visibility is everything. So just the fact the fact that you're able to be visible and in a relatable way. So there's there's a difference, right? So if you're publishing like on Medium, if you're publishing a Substack or a newsletter or something, there's still some a disconnect in real time between you and other people on the platform, you and your audience. So. Um, so I think what's amazing about LinkedIn is, again, it's these genuine interactions happening in real time. Again, we, there's some non-genuine stuff happening on now with the rise of <laughs> with these AI, you know, automated <laughs> content, sure. automated content and automated commenting bots that we see going around. You can, can spot the comments a mile away. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, we think there's um, there's a lot of potential. And I think it's only beginning now to really unlock its potential LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a great platform. It's like it's like a networking event that's going twenty four seven. So everyone's like, oh, you know, I know someone that does this. We can connect. So and people can check you out. They can vet you from afar because you know they. And the, one of the things that I think is most important, um, which a lot of people forget about, is people like to work with people when they like how they think. So it's not necessarily. You know, so until you actually find the right type kind of people and understand how they think, it's usually a really long process. But LinkedIn actually shortens that process. It widens people's circles of engagement and actually enables people to connect with each other by how they think and not, you know, not having to go through this kind of formula formulated process. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I I, I know with you know a lot of people that that I, that I follow, you, yourself included. You know, I, I do feel like I get a, a sense for the way that people think and the way they approach problems and the way that they that they you know solve problems on behalf of, of their customers and clients just by the type of content that they create. I think it's unfortunate 
more people aren't doing that for, for their businesses. Although I guess it's the benefit of us who, who are creating um, that there are fewer people, people and fewer voices out there. Um, what's, What's your system for staying consistent, I guess, with, with publishing? I mean, it's a lot of work to be publishing, you know, multiple times a week. Um, you know, I guess you're, you're a writer. Maybe it's easier for you. But but how do, how do you stay on top of that and stay consistent and, and have fresh ideas to talk about? Absolutely. So, um, so first of all, anytime I have an idea, I jot it down. Like anytime I have it, half an idea. So we always have a bank of ongoing ideas. So if you're mm-hmm. stuck or you don't know what to post at any point in time, you always go, you can go to that you know, that idea is dark and it's like, oh yeah, that that's interesting. Um, at the same time, get used to commenting because when you write thoughtful comments on other people's posts, if they, if you, someone wrote about something and it inspired you or it, uh, it reminded you of something, save that comment, like copy and paste that comment that you wrote as well onto, onto a Google doc. And you can also turn that into a whole new post, just explaining your perspective or so-and-so inspired me and here's my take on it. Mm-hmm. Like, so you can keep spinning up endless pieces of content I think a lot of people think no I have to sit down and have an editorial calendar and like you can but social media as well it has that wonderful opportunity to be flexible um, you can have a publishing calendar but it looks like a publishing calendar from far away people can pick it out uh, like you know but I think you, if you break things down into topics that you like to talk about mm-hmm. topics that you're knowledgeable about um, and topics that are interesting as well to your target audience. And then at least every every now and then go and pick out one of those ideas. For me, for me, it's very hard to to plan things so ahead so ahead in advance. So yeah. I have a couple of days a week where I look at look at writing out those ideas and look at create coming up with new ideas. Um, but most of the posts I actually create in in the moment just before just before publishing. I find it really hard to to think it all up in advance. I know that's not best practices, what people say, um, but I find that come across for me personally. It's, you know, again, it's not the most efficient process, but I find that comes out, they come out more authentic that way. Um, that said, or if you at least, but if I do write out a post beforehand, I will then uh, review it and edit it thoroughly before I, before actually publishing it. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you find once you kind of have these ideas kind of curated and saved, you have things to go to whenever you need something I mean, you're you're a writer by by profession. Is it easier for you to write? Do you think it's easier for you because of that? I know people like me, it's like you know, breaking teeth to sit down there and like write things when maybe I'd want to be more video or just kind of flowing in a conversation the way I communicate. Um, no, absolutely valid points. Well, first of all, again, if you if you feel more comfortable in video, then why not do video? I mean, okay, so sometimes the engage sometimes LinkedIn prioritizes uh, gives better engagement to to text only post for some reason um but if you you know if you prefer video then do then why not do video um but at the same time uh i yes it is easy for me as a as a natural you know as a natural writer to be able to just take an idea and go oh okay i can spin that into something um for people that need a little bit more prompting first of all i think the the best way to get through it though will be is to to write about things that you like as well. Mm-hmm. Remember, at, at the end of the day, people want to work with people who that they like how they think. So they're just looking for who's thinking in an interesting way, like whose thinking resonates with me, whose you know, attitude or whose perspective on on this topic or on this work, something that's interesting. So I think you don't always have to write like for what your audience likes. You can also be very true to yourself and write what's interesting to you. If you don't write about what's interesting to you, you burn out very quickly. I've yeah. had periods where, where, where I took a couple months off LinkedIn because it was just like, what, that was too much. Um, 
because it because it, it can get it can get tiring to keep it up but at the same time i think that's why you need to don't forget to post things that are you know be if you if you do things that come naturally to you as well then it's you know you, you won't ever get tired of it and you'll find it much easier to write as well good advice um let's jump into our, our lightning round some quick questions and quick answers real quick and then we'll wrap things okay. up um what book would you recommend to our listeners could be a business book a fiction book nonfiction. So there's um, there's there's a senior UX designer in the US called uh, John Yablonski. I think he's I don't know which famous company he's working for. He's working for. Hang on, let me look him up on LinkedIn. Um, he wrote this amazing book called The Laws of UX, and it's um, it was really fascinating. Like he really characterized, broke down laws of um, common laws of UX, so that it gives and the psychology behind or the reasons. We can. It's not just this is what we do. It's like here's why this this UX thing, like this theme in UX works. And it's not to do with writing, but it's given such an interesting perspective to to writing. And I think it's, and if you're a writer, it doesn't matter what you're working in, it would be anything in marketing. You need to keep looking outside your own, your own sphere for a, a new perspective. Mm-hmm. And UX as well is something that, um, that, and it was just a fascinating, fascinating read because it, it, helped explain a lot of things that we do in marketing that um that we do in marketing that sometimes we don't even think about or we don't have a clear explanation for and actually it's related back to the psychology behind the ux principle um, of communicate specific ways of communicating ideas so not just in words but then through visuals as well so it's coming down to what is that user experience what is that customer's journey how are we able to make it better i think the thing is because UX is communication and marketing is all about communication at the end of the day. If you're communicating well, people are going to come and buy. <laughs> so that's that's what it all is at the end of the day. So having that understanding of UX also gives is a fascinating perspective. Okay, excellent. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, what's your favorite marketing or productivity tool right now to use? Good um, question. I actually don't have one. Okay. I could enough. say ChatGPT or something. I could say ChatGPT or something, but oh no, actually, Fathom. Um, Fathom is my favorite um, video. Re- it's a video recording and does automatic transcripts through Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. I find the the back end in order in terms of being able to pick out transcripts and highlights and the fact that transcripts are automatically are automatically generated for me. It's uh, it's a huge time saver. Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. Um. Who's your favorite marketer or business leader that you're learning from these days? Um, there's a lot. <laughs> there's this, you know, how can I narrow it down to even just one? Um, I think, that's a good question. I think the the one that I always come back to is probably Joanna Weeb. She's, she's the original mm-hmm. conversion copywriter and the founder of Copy Hackers. Yeah. And so I... Um, so I'm a lot of my, a lot of what I do is self-taught, but at the same time, I did take her courses and the value that the value and the perspective that she brings to copywriting is, is so incredibly valuable, um, for this day and age. She really has what she's able to teach, what she teaches is just, it's very, very helpful. Yeah. She's been doing it for a long time. I remember learning from her probably more than 15 years ago. Yeah, so she's been around for it. exactly. So she's she absolutely knows what she's doing. She's just an absolute professional, and everything that she does is you know is carefully weighed and measured and tested before it's out there. So it's not someone. It's not a creator just kind of shooting, 
shooting the breeze and whatever crosses their mind. It's like, the, no, there's a there's a thoughtful, careful process. There's testing that's gone into this. This is something that it, that works and people can use to, they can apply it immediately and they can use it to then customize it and develop and grow further from there. Excellent. Um, and the final question, where can listeners go to learn more about you? Uh, yeah, best place would be LinkedIn. Okay. My, my own website is under construction at the moment. So okay. <laughs> best place would be LinkedIn. Well, you want to give a plug for when it's ready, hopefully by the time people are listening to this interview? Uh, yeah, hopefully. So it's cape.agency. So C-A-P-E dot agency. Okay. So uh, hopefully people can check it out. And by the time they hear this, it'll be up and running and, and, and all set. Um, anyways, Eden, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great interview. I know I've learned a lot. I think your perspective uh, is really going to help a lot of people because I know a lot of companies are really struggling with their their marketing and their positioning and their copywriting and all that. So uh, thank you for your insights. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's been great speaking with you.